The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to SWOutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. What we will experience and have is joy that nothing on this planet, in this life, can touch. Happiness is good, but it's fleeting. Joy is so much more. Listen to this. This is from a commentator. He said this. Joy and happiness are not the same. Each springs from a totally different source. One comes from the world around me. The other originates directly with the spirit of the living God. Happiness is conditioned by and dependent upon what is happening to me. It's bound up with how people treat me or the circumstances that I find myself in. Joy, on the other hand, is a quality of life that transcends, it's above and beyond the events of my life. Joy is a divine dimension of living, not bound by circumstances. This joy springs from the presence of God. It flows from God's very nature. That's what we get to aim at. Aim for holiness and receive joy. All right, that's the introduction. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All right, so he says, therefore, right? And he's referring back to the end of chapter four. Specifically, it would seem like he's referring back to verse 32, which uh, Brody's going to preach this time next year. So come back. Looking forward to that sermon. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And remember, we started the conference talking about this where, okay, if we have all these one another's in the Bible, in the New Testament, for the church, as Christians, as we're told how to treat one another. And we said, man, okay, if that's true for how we should treat one another in Christ in general, then how much more? in our marriages, right? If we're told to, to bear with one another, to forgive one another in general in Christ, and how much more in our marriages? And so as we look at this, he's saying, okay, therefore, if, if, if that's what we're aiming at, okay, this is how we're gonna get there. If we want, man, that, the, these, these characteristics to be true of our marriages, and this is how we get there. He says, imitate God. Imitate God as a beloved child, as beloved children, like, like a child does with their father. Imitate God. Now, I want to pause because I think it's just been, it's been so refreshing all weekend. It's been an awesome weekend. And what's been refreshing to me is just kind of that point of I mean, the simplicity that we can have in marriage. The simplicity that we can have in pursuing Christ, not, not that either one is easy, but it can be simple. And, and, and to me, it's kind of felt like just like this, yeah, I got I to gotta step back. Let's get back to the basics. Let's make sure the foundation is good. And when I've been in ministry for 20-something years, and you know, a, a preacher here at camp and a past, one of the pastors of a local church, 
and, and so much of my time I, I get to spend in counseling, and, and I love it. I'm thankful for it. it, it it's hard, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I love it. I'm, I'm drawn to it. And, and so often I, I found myself, you know, really like you just feel like you're, you, you say the same thing where I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to drive at like, okay, what, what's your relationship with the Lord like? You got, you got all this going on, and, and, and specifically what's in my mind is some relationships in our church, some marriage relationships that are, that are on the brink. Uh, this, is, this is real. This is raw for me. And, and counseling these couples and specifically counseling the husbands and saying like, okay, like let's start there. And what's your relationship with the Lord like? What does it look like right now when, well, for you to pursue Jesus? And, and what I kind of always get is, yeah, 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 I know. Like I, I need to be reading my Bible. I need to be in prayer. But, and then a list of, in these cases specifically, a list of the other person's offenses that now they can't see past. And, and counsel and counsel and try to, to give wise <laughs> advice and okay, maybe some ways that we can unpack some of these things and, and a different lens to see one another through. And some of the feedback that I got was that when that person kind of cut me off from speaking into their life was this, that, well, all he ever said was, man, if you just read your Bible and pray, it'll be all right. To which I, I laughed out loud because I'd spent like hours of my life saying more than that. But it just made me think because I was like, man, yeah. Like at the end of the day, yes, like I will go to my grave. Lord willing, I'll go to my grave believing that there's no soul too far gone that God can save. And there's no marriage too jacked up that he can't redeem it and reconcile it. And, and, but we don't get to build without a foundation. If we're not committed to taking God at his word and accepting the only provision that he's given us, then you're right, I don't have anything else to say. Like we can't just give lip service to being a student of the word of God. It, it, it has, we have to saturate our mind with the truth of Scripture. We can't just say, yeah, I know I should pray. We have to pray. But he's told us, like, come boldly before the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy for your time of need. You know when your time of need is? It's always right now. <laughs> it's always right now. We have that privilege and responsibility. He's told us. He's not like, Hey, I sent an invitation. Let me know if you can make it. Come before the throne of grace. You need God's grace every day. And he's given us his spirit to bring his truth to our minds, to convict us of sin, and he's given us the church. I so appreciated that Philip emphasized that at the end of their talk this morning. That, that should not be overlooked. Like, yeah, we need the word of God we need to be in prayer, and we need to be involved in, committed to, and accountable to a local church, a biblical local church. That is the foundation for everything in our Christian life. And so I, I looked it up. I Googled it. Or no, I looked it up on Amazon. I, I just typed in um, Christian books on marriage, and there were over like 10,000 results. I'm sure not all of them fit the description, but what I came away with is 
there's a lot of money to be made selling books to Christians. Tap into that. No, uh, I came away thinking, okay, we've got all, everyone's given some kind of angle on like, here's a gimmick, here's a trick, and, and may, may, here, here's some helpful advice, right? Like, learn this about your personality, learn this about the way that you experience and show love, and, and now hear me, those are all helpful things. Those are good tools, but they're nothing without the foundation of, are you pursuing Jesus? And I know this is basic, but listen, we, th- there's nowhere else to go if we're not committed to this. Because to imitate God means this. You spend time with him. Why does a son imitate his father? Is, it, is that just woven into his DNA? Some things. But mostly, it's because he looks at him and he loves him and he wants to be like him. And there's no shortcut what he just told us. Therefore, if you're going to be kind, if you're going to be loving, if you guys are going to be of one mind and your marriage is going to be a place where grace and mercy flourishes and, and the gospel is put on display, you've got to imitate God and there's no shortcuts. If you're going to imitate him, you've got to spend time with him. You've got to look at him. You've got to listen to him. You've got to meditate on how he does things. There's no shortcut. He says, as beloved children... That's so good. That's so encouraging. That's our identity. That's our identity. Because he has. He's adopted us as his sons. Listen to Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. That's how we need to see ourselves. All right, listen. That's how we need to see ourselves and our spouse. Why? Because this, what we're about to read, this is how God sees us. This is what he says to be true about us. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He loves us. He chose to love us. And what does he say about us in Christ? That we're holy and blameless. So we first have to see ourselves through this lens. We don't have the right to see ourselves any other way. Will you sin? You don't have to answer out loud. Yes. Yeah. If anybody says he's without sin, he's a liar, and the truth isn't in him. But, but what's happened with that sin? We confess our sin, but what, what's your, Jesus is faithful and he's just to forgive us. Why? Because he already paid for it. He's already paid for our sin. We're already forgiven in Christ. He sees you as holy, as blameless, spotless. You've been set apart by Jesus for Jesus. And so has your spouse. Why am I saying that? Because we don't have any, we don't have the right to see ourselves in any other way. And now listen to me. We don't have the right to say anything else, to think anything else, to believe anything else 
about our spouse other than they are loved by God. And he says they're holy and blameless. And he's forgiven them. And he's set them apart. And that's how we need to see each other. From that perspective, through that lens. So, what I want to do in our time that we have left is he says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Right? So, live in love like make it your day in, day out practice to love like this. Like what? As Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So I want to look at a handful of ways of, okay, what's it going to look like for us to love like Jesus? So I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 22 to the end of the chapter. So we know this is the instructions to the wives and to the husbands. And I want us to see, again, like, okay, what's my aim? What's my goal? What am I called to? Ultimately, what is the love that I'm to imitate what, what, what's, the, what's the end game here? Listen to what he says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Do you see it? How does Christ love the church? So that, what's the aim of our love for one another? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way to the same end same goal husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Same goal. We have the same goal for one another that Jesus has. And we know, we know it's going to succeed. Jesus said, and He's going to finish the work that he started in us. He'll never let us go. Jesus will never leave us, never forsake us. There is nothing in heaven, earth, under the earth. There's no powers. There's nothing in all of creation, including you, that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so we need to see ourselves as lining up with that goal that we are, we are working towards the same goal for our spouse, their holiness, that they, that they will be faithful to Jesus to the end. So, some of the ways that Jesus loves us. Number one, he takes the initiative. He takes the initiative. He pursues us selflessly and sacrificially. We know from what we just read that husbands are take, to take the lead in this. 
primarily the way that the husband's love is demonstrated to the wife is by selfless, sacrificial service. And for the wife, the way that her love primarily is manifested to the husband is through submission and respect. And it's not that the husband shouldn't respect the wife and that the wife shouldn't love and sacrifice for the husband, but those are the ways that we should, the way that we lean into how we love one another. He takes the initiative. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 says this about the church. So again, then how much more within our marriages, he says, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And I love that he, he, the word that he uses here, I love it for consider. It's, it, it's this idea, like be strategic, like as if you were waging a war, be strategic, but not for wartime and destruction, but like for their good. Be strategic on how you're going to demonstrate love, to stir somebody up to loving good works. All right, just, I mean, just pause. I'll pause. I, w- I want us to think about this. Then, okay, practically, what does this look like? I think it just means take time, like prioritize setting time aside to think about how do I best love my spouse? And how do I encourage them today with that love? How do I demonstrate my love to them today? How do I encourage them to be faithful to Jesus today? Man, let, what, if we, what if we legit made that our prayer every morning? And one of the ways that Jesus shows us his love is that he prays for us. It's, it's the only ongoing work that Jesus does. Like everything he's done for our salvation, it was done at the cross and in his resurrection. But you know, he still prays for us. As our great high priest, he intercedes for us. That, that blows my mind. Like Jesus who created the universe and is currently directing it to its appointed end, that he upholds the universe right now. That's what he's doing. He's upholding the universe. And he's directing it to the end that he set out from the beginning for it. Every living creature, all of space, all of time. And while he does that, he prays for us. That's humbling. And if we're going to love like him, like how can we not then prioritize praying for one another? Let me, let me encourage you, because, again, I think, err on the side of simplicity. If we're going to imitate Jesus, right, if we're going to look at him, think about him, spend time with him, talk to him, listen to him, then I think for some of us, we get, we, we get so intimidated by it. And I, I've had so many guys way smarter than me, way more capable than me, tell me that, man, I just, I can't read, I don't understand the Bible. I think, man, hopefully this will be encouraged. If that's you, if that's how you feel, man, there's so many mornings, like, I, I, have, I have degrees in the Bible, like, which just mostly means I spent time and money to get a degree. But when I, when I do this, like, I don't pull out commentaries and dive deep into the language. You know what I do in the mornings? To, to pursue this for myself and for my family starts the night before 
when I preset the coffee maker. I sit down at the table with a cup of coffee. It's quiet in the house. And I put headphones on. And I go to wherever I'm reading. And I hit play. And there's a tiny British man in my phone that reads the Bible to me. And I just read along. Because in the morning, I have a hard time paying attention. I have a hard time my mind not start to wonder, to start thinking about what I got to do next. And I, and I just let the word of God wash through my mind, just wash over me. And it helps me focus. And just maybe it's one chapter, maybe it's three. And I just read the Bible. And then I pray. And for me, man, I had such a hard time with prayer for so long. Like I tried to pray out loud and walk around and pray in the car. And, and I just get so distracted, try to pray in, pray in bed. And that just means you fall asleep. And, and I, but for me, and maybe this will help you, I started journaling my prayers just type them out at first in a notebook and now I just do it on my laptop and it has helped me immensely to stay paying attention stay focused and and whatever is going on whatever I'm praying for like I don't leave that time and I wish I could tell you it was every morning it's not but I don't leave that time where I without praying for my family praying for my wife and, and let me help you like what I do primarily most mornings is I just pray through Colossians 1 9 through 14. That's a, a prayer that Paul prayed for the church, and I just take that outline and I pray it over my wife. I think, man, I've had so many guys tell me when their, their marriage is on the rocks, when they're frustrated with their wife, the, there's unmet expectations, and same thing from the wife, and they, they can't get past, like, well, he said this, and she said this, and they, they want to get counseling, and then they're at each other, and there's so much built up that there's no way <laughs> there's no way I can unpack that for anybody. But if we're believers, we could put all that under the blood of Christ, move forward in forgiveness. And if we'll just do this, let's imitate Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. Let's listen to Jesus. Let's just spend time in Scripture, time in prayer. Let's be involved in and committed to and accountable to a local church. And you know what? I mean, you're going to be all right. Be easy? No. You're going to be all right. The Lord's going to grow you. Man, there's so many people that get underneath my skin. So many people that just bother me. You know anybody like that? People that just annoy me. I'm easily annoyed. And so what I've learned is if I'll pray for that person, if I'll pray for them, God will change them and make them more like me, and then I like them. We get along. <laughs> no. You know who he changes every time? Me. I was the jerk the whole time. It's so true. <laughs> well, both things. Yeah. Man, when I'm annoyed, and... and be real right like you live with somebody I've been married for 15 years like there's times when we haven't gotten along real good but man we're just committed to loving Jesus and trying to live this out we haven't done it perfectly there there is no perfect marriage there's no perfect husband no perfect wife admittedly Sarah and I are probably like the closest but there's this we're not perfect <laughs> Jesus is perfect. The gospel is perfect. 
and just, you know, there's never been a morning where I've prayed over Sarah and then like walked out of the room and, and just everything was, you know, immediately better. But day in, day out, pursue Jesus, be in his word, be in prayer, pray for your spouse, consider, be strategic about how you're going to try to show that person the love of Christ. You can be all right. You can get through a lot. In fact, most things that would derail and get your marriage off the tracks just won't be a big deal. And there's a lot of things that maybe right now feel like they're insurmountable and you can't see past. You start seeing them in light of the cross and an empty tomb and your forgiven sin and an amazing grace that's been poured out on you day in and day out. All of a sudden, those things start to shrink. You think, man, I, in my own strength, my own power, I could never have let those things go. Well, no one's asking you to do it in your strength and your power. The power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Oh, you guys got to listen way faster. I don't want to skip this one. It's too good. He loves us in humility. In humility. Let me read to you Philippians chapter 2. It's always a safe way to make sure a sermon's good. If you're not sure, just read this passage. Listen to this. He says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. All right, so what he's doing is he's saying, he's setting the church up to be like, for us to be like, oh, of course, in Christ, of course there's these things, right? Like, let, let me ask you, is there any encouragement in Christ? Yes. Any comfort from love? Yes. Any participation in the Spirit? Yes. Any affection and sympathy? Yes. Then he, he, he goes, okay, if that's true, then do this. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. All right, so if we're supposed to do that in the church, what are we, what are we looking at this weekend? How much more in our marriages? If we've experienced the comfort and the love and the affection and the work of the Spirit in our life, then let's be of the same mind. Let's be of one accord. Let's, in humility, count our spouse as better than ourself. And what he says next is absolutely crazy. Verse 3 again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind, think this way, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Think like Jesus. Show the same kind of humility like Jesus. How did he do it? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, you think just like Jesus thought. Well, how did he think? Even though he was God, he considered you better than himself. And in humility, he emptied himself of what? All the external glory that only he is worthy of. What did he empty himself of? The worship of angels who have never sinned. He left it behind. What did he empty himself of? The perfect fellowship that he had with the Father and the Spirit from all of eternity. He emptied himself of that. His rights, his privileges that are his alone, that he's worthy of, he let go of them because he considered you better than himself and in humility he became a human. Not just a human but a servant. And he didn't just come to serve, to say nice things and to feed people. He came to be a servant by going to the, to the cross to die, to suffer and die so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be free from sin, so that you could be a new creation, so you'd be free to love your spouse the way that God created you to love your spouse. That's beautiful. And he's telling us to follow that example. We... <laughs> We don't have the same starting point. He's holy, and he humbled himself to serve sinners. So how much more should we be willing to serve one another? We're both sinners. We're all sinners. And so the question that I have to ask myself when I read this is, okay, then what are my perceived rights and privileges that I hold fast to at the expense of serving my wife the way that I'm supposed to? I know what I have in my hands. But I think we would all do well to ask ourselves that same question. What do I hold fast to? What do I have a white-knuckled death grip on at the expense of serving, loving my spouse? Whatever it is, empty yourself. And let that go. I think point of application would be simply to spend time with Jesus and ask him what is it? What is it I'm holding to? What do I think is a right and privilege that I just deserve that right now is a barrier for me to really serve my wife? For you may be serving your husband. How does he love us? He extends grace and mercy. He forgives. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Ephesians 4:32 says, again, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Uh, Alistair Begg is one of my favorite preachers that doesn't work here. He, he said this, unless a couple learns to keep short accounts of offenses, the residue of resentment builds until it eventually hardens the arteries of their love, severely impairing the marriage. The past, the past, your past must be put well behind them. 
if they are to face the future without fear and enjoy the present unashamed. So we have to do this. Uh, you know, one of the benefits of just pursuing Jesus through his word is day in and day out, you're going to be face to face with the gospel. Which means you'll be reminded of your sin, which, would be, which means you'll be reminded that you've been forgiven. And when I look at my sin against a holy God, and that he's forgiven me, that he's poured out his grace and his mercy on me, then I have to be able to put my spouse's sin against me, whatever wrongs I could see, man, compare them. Just compare them. If he's forgiven me, and I'm his son, and I'm to imitate him, what does that mean? Man, forgive. We should be quick to forgive. Quick to forgive. Now, I say that, and I know there's more complicated scenarios. There's been abuse. There's been adultery. Consistent deception. It can be, take so much more time to, to build back trust. And what I would say is, yeah, the foundation still has to be in place. But I encourage you, I mean, if that's the scenario that you're in, you're trying to work back, and, and, and right now all you've heard is, oh, I'm just supposed to forgive and forget. No. No. I mean, we, we can work towards forgiveness, but it might mean like, that. yeah, you need, you need to bring in a, a, a godly, biblical counselor. You might need to get a pastor or a godly couple in your church to help navigate those deeper waters. Yeah, it, it can take time to build back trust in those types of situations. So look again at chapter 5, verses 1. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But then he gives a warning. And we're not going to work all the way through it, but he says this. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. He goes right to this warning about sexual immorality. And I think, man, it's so, again, okay, so then how much more in our marriages do we need to be guarded against sexual immorality? I mean, we know. We live in this culture, this society, where sex has been so perverted, so perverted, and, and finding new ways to pervert God's good gift. So uh, this past year, my, uh, my kids kept, my, especially my son, he kept asking for this one gift, and we'd go to my, my brother's, and uh, they'd have, they had the Nintendo Switch. And so we'd go there, and the kids would all play the Nintendo Switch, and he just kept asking and kept asking. We put it off, and uh, my wife especially was a little bit against it, but I was like, man, I had a Nintendo, and I know that there's, when I was a kid, and I love playing, and but I always prefer to play outside. And I was like, I know there's risk, right? Like some people become addicted to it, and you got people that are like my age now still playing video games, and like there's that danger. But hopefully, we'll help, like you know, put time limits, and you kind of earn your playing time. And so, I mean, I, I caved, and I was like, all right. So I, I bought him a Nintendo Switch, and the the truth is, like, I got him this good gift. I thought, and they play it some, and I found myself not having to be like, hey, man, you guys get off the game, go outside and play. It's more like, hey, 
y'all get inside and play the switch? Play the switch. No, get inside. Put that book down. Put that book down. We're going to play Mario Brothers. Like, I'm like, I got you this good gift to play it. I think, man, I think the Lord looks down and he sees the world is just, I mean, just rampant with perversion in the area of sexuality. And then he looks at the church and we've been given such a good gift. And he's looking at us and he's going, play the switch. Play the switch. It's a good gift. But not just for our pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely for that. But it's so much more than that. Because it's, it's the area where we should most vividly experience man, how we selflessly and sacrificially love each other consistently. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is the Lord's command. It's a good command. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the, the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Listen. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again. To what end? So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Do you see it? It's the same goal. That we selflessly, sacrificially serve one another so there's mutual satisfaction in our intimacy together. To what end? Our holiness. Our holiness. And he says, man, it should be consistent. Consistent. Otherwise, we leave ourselves vulnerable to the enemy's attack. Listen to what uh, this one commentary said. In a healthy marriage, there is a beautiful giving up of one's autonomy to the other. Paul envisioned sex as a means of serving one's spouse. Paul acknowledges that human beings have sexual passions, and he envisions a healthy marriage. That's key. A healthy marriage relationship in which these passions are exercised on a regular basis. Paul's argument is that married couples should have consistent sex in order to remain holy. It is only on the rarest of occasions that a couple should temporarily forego sexual relations. Verse 5 states, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer. Pause. And you see what he's, I mean, there's no quota here, right? He's not given a quota. He's not saying every day. He's not saying every three, like, but it's to be consistent. And ain't no one in here praying every day, all day, 28 to 31 days a month. (laughs) 
but we should examine ourselves. And pause right there. We'll pick back up with commentator. We can't get it backwards and think, man, there's stuff wrong in my marriage. If I get my sex life right, it'll it'll work backwards and I'll start serving and praying and being sacrificial and intentional and we'll love one, and one another well and our communication will get better. It's not going to work that way. But I think what he's saying is this. As we work on, we're not going to be perfect, but as we work on all these other areas, as we pursue the Lord, prioritize reading his Bible, making his word central in our home, as we pray for one another, as we're intentional about how we try to humbly serve one another, the natural outflow of that is going to be a healthy sexual relationship that's mutually satisfying and consistent. And I think if it's not, if it's not, what it is is a barometer that those other things probably aren't what we think they are. And there's probably something else holding up our marriages other than the Lord, other than a love that flows from the Lord. And it might be our children, and it might be our financial success and our retirement plans, and it might be vacations. And none of those things has strength to sustain our marriages to the end. And they don't, definitely don't have the strength to make our marriages what they can and should be. So I think it's, it's good on a weekend like this. Pause. Evaluate this area of our life. What's it saying about the rest of our marriage? Are we leaving ourselves vulnerable to the enemy's attack? What he's saying is right here, Sometimes the best defense is a good offense. The enemy wants to attack you in this area. And so don't give them room. Come together consistently. Don't be selfish. Serve one another. Work for one another's. Like, Consider your spouse better than yourself. Demonstrate God's love in that way in your physical intimacy serving one another and he's saying man if you do that the enemy won't have a foothold there's nowhere to go with you the reason married individuals have have sex is in order to please god which points to their ultimate goal of selfless service ultimately selfless service in a marriage relationship is intended to spur both parties on in their devotion to the lord the greater end of sexual pleasure in, in a marriage relationship is to live a life that is pleasing to God. This is the aim of marriage even beyond a couple's sex life. God calls us to be kind and gracious, sanctifying agents. This is good. I'm going to read that again. This is the aim of marriage even beyond a couple's sex life. God calls us to be kind and gracious, sanctifying agents in the lives of our spouses. That's good. So here, here's the application for that. Communicate. You got to communicate. Husbands lead in communicating. If, if this is an issue in your marriage right now, then communicate talk about okay what what's the barrier have we allowed the excuses that we're too busy we got too much going on 
hey, seriously, are we prioritizing our kids' sports, their hobbies, their interests? Are we, are, we, are we prioritizing ministry opportunities so that we're too tired when we get home? Are you prioritizing entertainment, staying up, falling asleep on the couch, watching your favorite show? Are you allowing that to take place of being intimate with one another? And have the conversation. It's worth having the conversation. It's worth getting this right for the joy and pleasure in your own marriage and to honor the Lord and to be on guard against the attacks of the enemy. It's worth having the conversation. The Lord has given us an awesome gift and it's to be used for his glory and our good. Let's strive to walk in love and serve each other well in every aspect of our marriage. Let's imitate God. Spend time with him. Look to him. Listen to him. Talk to him. Let's read the Bible. Let's pray. Let's learn how to be kind to one another by looking at the example of Jesus. Let's be involved in, committed to, and accountable to a local church. The Lord will bless our marriages. There's a lot that can be healed. There's no marriage that's too far gone. There's no pains from the past that are too great. And the gospel conquers all. Our hope is not in our spouse, but in Jesus. And he can heal it. And he can sustain us. Some of y'all, man, you come to this, this conference and your marriage is doing awesome. And have those conversations now. Don't wait. Don't wait for the enemy to attack. Talk through these things. So pray with me. We'll worship the Lord. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.